0: This is the third message in a series on the mission vision statement that has been prepared over the last year by the elders and the master planning team of Bethlehem found in this little booklet. And if you don't have one, would you raise your hand? We've got ushers with some of them in their hands because I'm going to refer to this a lot today and I'd really like everybody to have one in your hand and you can have it and keep it. So if you don't have one, just let them see your hand as they walk by. There's a study guide that I'm trying to produce a week ahead at a time, and it's yellow and it's out on the table there. And if you would like your family to sort of catch on and learn more about this and dig into the biblical basis for it, take a study guide and make it part of your family devotions or something like that during the week. Last week, we spent the whole time on page one, the cover. Our mission is we exist too. Spread passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples. And I hope that by the time we are done with this, you have that memorized. Eighteen words, very simple to memorize, so that if anybody ever says to you, where do you go to church? Well, it's that church downtown, the one where you could drive in off the freeway. It's got the big red banner up there, Passion for God, but no sign on the side to tell you what it is, which we hope the elders will change soon if you find the money to do it. That's the church I go to. And if they say next, well, what kind of church is it? Where, where do they uh, believe? You say, well, the heart of it is this. We exist to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples. And then they'll have all kinds of questions. And then you're into it and you can unpack what all that means. But that's that's the front page. That's why we exist. That's the most central way of saying the heartbeat of what makes us tick now just to summarize the sen- the center thing here is the supremacy of god and its relationship to joy what we believe is that god is so supreme so glorious so infinitely superior to every other value on the earth that if you know him and if you have fellowship with him that's the only possible source of abiding solid joy. So he is the foundation of the joy of our lives. And we also believe that the reverse is true. That since his greatness or his supremacy is the foundation of our joy, therefore when our joy is strong, it is a revelation of his greatness. It is an evidence of what we're standing on in the storms of life that enables us to keep full of joy. Now, the key text, or a key text, there's so many of them, to see this logic is Psalm 20, uh, 95, verses uh, 1 and 3, where it says, or 1 to 3, Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms, there's joy, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. So you see that logical connection? Shout joyfully to the Lord. Why? Because he's a great God above all gods. That means he's supreme. He has supremacy. Great above all gods means he has supremacy. So rejoice in him and sing and shout joyfully. So that's the logic that this is built on. We believe that the supremacy of God over all other competing gods and values is the ground of our joy. To know that God, to fellowship with that God, to be loved by that God, to be taken into his inner circle and made friends, like we were singing about, is joy. And it's a joy that can't be shaken by sickness or by death. Because it's in God who never changes. Now, that's last week's message. And that's the essence of page one. Now, the question is. How in the world. Are we gonna do that? A young man walked up to the front last week and, uh, he was so pumped and so frustrated. He said, well, yes, 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 but how? You didn't tell us how. What do we do now? If, if we, if we want to be this way, if we want to have a passion for the supremacy of God in all things and spread joy to all the peoples rooted in that supremacy, Real life doesn't feel that way, and so what should we do? And I said, hang on for page two, please hang on, because we've spent four weeks now on page two, so turn to page two, and in this page, you find at the top what's called the spiritual dynamic that drives, or you could say enables, or empowers, or supports, or guides the mission. The word dynamic comes from the Greek word dunamis which means power from which we get dynamite and the word spiritual here in the New Testament means coming from and shaped by the Holy Spirit and so a spiritual dynamic means the release of the power of the Holy Spirit so my answer to the question of How do you do page one is you find a way for the spirit to be released among you. And the dynamic is the how that happens. The dynamic is the happening of that power through whatever means God has ordained for it to happen. And that's what we're going to spend four weeks on starting today. This page here. Now, what I want you to look for, we're going to read it together. This page together out loud. You read with me, I hope. As we read, look for four things. I want you to look for four agents of the spiritual dynamic. Four persons who are involved in releasing and applying and appropriating and holding up this power among us. So that it happens. Alright, would you, would you read it with me? This is the spiritual dynamic. We'll start with the words, we join. Let's read it out loud. We join God the Father In magnifying the supremacy of his glory through our Lord Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, by treasuring all that God is, loving all whom he loves, praying for all his purposes, meditating on all his word, sustained by all his grace. Okay, there are four persons. Or four agents, instruments, crucial persons in getting the power of God from God into us so that page one can happen. Number one, they're hidden in four prepositions. See them? Number one, through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is agent number one. The, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one through whom... This power is going to happen through whom we're going to be enabled to glorify God or magnify his supremacy. And I'll come back to that. I'm going to spend most of our time on that. Number two agent in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the second person of the Godhead that's involved in enabling us to magnify the supremacy of God's glory. He's the one who applies the power of God to us. The third agent is you. By your treasuring all that God is loving, all whom he loves, praying for all whom he for all his purposes and meditating on all his word. You must do something in order to have the Holy Spirit's power full in your life. And we'll spend two weeks two, one week on treasuring and loving and one week on praying and meditating. And the last person, sustained by all his grace, that is, God the Father, who upholds this whole thing, he's the one who sent the Lord Jesus. He's the one who pours out the Holy Spirit. He's the one who enables you to treasure and love and pray and meditate. So he holds it all up. In fact, if you want to see a kind of sandwich, like images of a sandwich or the top peace is the glory of God, that we join God the Father in magnifying the supremacy of his glory. And the bottom layer is we're sustained by his grace. You could say it's all sustained by his grace and for his glory, by his grace and for his glory. His grace and his glory are the surrounding realities of this spiritual dynamic. So what I want to make real clear as we take just two of these now through the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the power of the Holy Spirit this morning for a few minutes, know that this dynamic is our only hope for doing page one. If we're going to be a people who spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all these cities and all the peoples, we must have a dynamic, a spiritual dynamic or A Holy Spirit given and shaped power. That's our only hope. And so we need to unpack it now and see how does it come? How does it come? The first person, the first agent I want to deal with is Jesus. And I want you to feel the force of what it means to say through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are not throwaway words, brothers and sisters. I hope at the end of your prayers, when you say in Jesus name, amen, that's not a throwaway phrase. I hope that's not a throwaway phrase. We we stress this in our family, because I know in family devotions, especially among kids, it tends to be a throwaway phrase. Jesus name. Amen. And you can't it sounds like one long word and you can't even tell what is Jesus name. Amen. I said, don't do that, guys. Don't do that, guys. That's the most important part of your prayer. That's the foundation of your prayer. That's the root of your prayer. That's the dynamic of your prayer. That's the only reason God should hear your prayer is that you make it in Jesus' name and not your own name and your own worth and your own value. Only what Jesus did enables your prayer to be heard. Don't throw that phrase away. And when you read the spiritual dynamic, don't throw away through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me unpack it. For just a moment so that you hear and feel what we mean by that phrase. And I can't say it all. I can only say one thing that we think it means. I think it's the most important thing, but it's not the whole thing. What we mean when we say that we join God the Father in magnifying the supremacy of his glory through our Lord Jesus Christ is this. Nobody could ever glorify God. Nobody could ever magnify the supremacy of God's glory if Jesus had not died for our sins. Now, why is that? If Jesus Christ, our Lord, had not come into the world and carried our sins on the cross for us, there is no hope that anybody could ever Glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Why? For this reason. Without the Holy Spirit, we hate God. Without the Holy Spirit, we rebel against God. Without the Holy Spirit, we become um, carnally, powerlessly religious to work for God. Which is rebellion against God. The Holy Spirit is the only reason any of you is in this room this morning. The Holy Spirit is the only reason that any of you is saved and believing this morning. Without the Holy Spirit, there is the mind of the flesh, and it is enslaved to sin, and it is hostile to God, And it cannot do the will of God, Romans 8, 7. There is only one hope for freedom from slavery to sin and animosity towards God. And that is the breaking in of Almighty God into my ungodly life and doing something to incline me to Him. That's my only hope. And therefore, I could never glorify God. I could never delight in God. I could never worship God. I could never magnify God without the Holy Spirit. But know this. A holy God will never pour a holy, Holy Spirit into an unholy John Piper unless my sins are forgiven. And therefore... The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our lives is absolutely dependent on the bloodshedding of Jesus Christ. Had he not died for my sins, God could not, with righteousness and justice, bless me with an infinitely valuable blessing called the Holy Spirit. You see the connection? Had Christ not removed the curse from me... Had he not taken my guilt away, had he not borne my sins, had he not absorbed all the wrath of God into himself that was aimed at me, there would be only one thing coming upon me, and that is wrath. Only one thing frees Almighty God to pour his Holy Spirit upon me, and that is the blood-shedding death of Jesus Christ. To bear my sins and take away my guilt and absorb all the condemnation of God. So that in Him now by faith there is no condemnation to me. And God has one will toward me now. One will, not two wills. One will, love. There is only wrath on people outside Christ. And the only hope that they could experience the love of God is that they hide in Jesus Jesus' death for sin is the only way that a just and holy God can pour the most lavish blessing on people that have trampled his glory in the dirt every day of their lives. There's only one hope that you can be a recipient of the Holy Spirit. And that is the blood of Jesus. It's our only hope. So the first thing that I mean in this little phrase... We magnify the supremacy of the glory of God through our Lord Jesus is through his blood. Which removes the wrath of God and opens the sluice gates of mercy to be poured out through the Holy Spirit on my sinful life. You've got no hope without Jesus. Now, I don't want you to take my word for this. Would you turn to Romans 8? I want to show you this dynamic here. This is a powerful, powerful connection I'm developing between the death of Jesus and the pouring out of the spirit of God to work miracles in our lives to make us love God and glorify him. And I want you to see it for yourself and not just take my word for it. So Romans 8 and we're going to read two texts. I'll show you this from two places. The first is verses 3 and 4 of Romans 8. And then we'll look at verse 32. What the law, the Old Testament law, could not do. There's something the law couldn't do that needed to be done. What couldn't it do? Or why couldn't it do it first? Weak as it was through the flesh. That's your flesh and my flesh. What's the flesh? The flesh is who we are apart from the Holy Spirit. Just flesh. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we are just flesh. Our flesh, when it hears the law of God, does two things with it. It either hates it and rebels against it, or it takes it and uses it to climb to heaven to prove how good we are. And in both cases, it's rebellion against the grace of God, and therefore the flesh couldn't do it. And when the law hit the flesh, all you got was legalism. Which brought death. And so the law couldn't do what needed to be done. What needed to be done? The fulfillment of the righteous command of the law, which is what? Love. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbors as yourself. And when the law said, do it, it couldn't happen. It couldn't happen. Not without something else happening. What did he do? What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. How? How? Sending his own son. Here comes the bloodshed. His own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. That's your condemnation, brothers and sisters. There it is. All the condemnation that is owing to your sin landed on Jesus at that moment. This is the glorious thing. About the Gospel. If any of you are here without Christ this morning, know there is a Redeemer for wicked people to get right with God. This is the Gospel. This is the Gospel. It is possible to have all the sins you've ever committed, and all the ones that you will yet commit, placed on Jesus. Reckoned to be on Jesus. He condemns sin in Jesus' flesh instead of mine in hell. Now, why did he do that? What comes of this? What's the release? What happens? What did he release when he did that? Verse 4. In order that this just requirement that couldn't happen when it just met flesh, this just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us now. Who walk not according to the flesh anymore, but according to the Spirit. There it is. You see the connection now? All we had was flesh and law before. Flesh and law. Bam! You get legalism and rebellion and all kinds of strivings. And it's a dead end street. And nobody can do it. And then God says, I'm going to open a way. For my spirit in a new covenant to move into hearts and minds and change from the inside out. I can't do that without making my hands defiled in ungodly people. Unless, unless I find a way to take all their sins and forgive them and all their guilt and remove it and all my wrath against that and absorb it. And so, I will do it with the bloodshedding of my Son. This is the new covenant in my blood. That the Holy Spirit, because of the death of Jesus, is released into the heart of his people. And then. From the inside out, by the power of the Holy Spirit enabling us and opening us like a flower, we fulfill the just requirement of the law. Not perfectly in this life, don't get me wrong, not perfectly, but we do. We are enabled to walk in, in, in newness of life because the Holy Spirit has been given, and He's been given because there has been a guilt-removing, sin-bearing, wrath-absorbing, the gospel. So when you read, our spiritual dynamic is to join God the Father in magnifying the supremacy of His glory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Think first about what He did when He shed His blood so that the sluice gates of heaven were opened up that we might be drowned with blessing, with one will, love, love, love you see the connection? Have you got it? This is the gospel. Because Christ died for our sins. Because he bore our condemnation. Because he removed God's wrath. Because he took away the curse and removed the guilt. Because of all of that. And only because of that, the Holy Spirit is coming. He's on us. He's in us. He's in you right now if you believed in Jesus. And God can bestir him. He can stir him up in great fullness without dirtying his hands. Because all that sin that we commit from day to day is taken care of. If, if, If God's hand touches sin in your life, it touches blood. And not yours. This is good news. This is good news. Our only hope as a church to honor our Father is through our Lord Jesus Christ. I've got one more little point, and it's the next phrase. I call it little just because I think I've already covered it, but I want to apply it now. We magnify the supremacy of his glory in the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus bought for us. In the power of the Holy Spirit. And I stopped here and I thought, Lord, what can I say about this? And here's what I believe he led me to do. Look at page three in the booklet. Page three is called Fresh Initiatives. These are the adjustments in our trajectory as a church. These are the newer things. These are the things that are going to feel a little bit like change. How they're going to look, we're not sure yet. People are praying and working on that right now in the different areas. But you know what I found as I meditated on these six fresh initiatives down in the right column There. Every one of them, as I read it, I thought of a Bible verse that says you can't do that without the Holy Spirit. And I just want to point those verses out to you as we close. I'm going to read the, I'm going to read the, the fresh initiative, and then I'm going to direct you to a biblical passage that says no hope without the Spirit. This will never happen without the Holy Spirit. Okay, Number one, the value of relationships We will take new practical steps to develop an atmosphere where personal, deepening, supportive, faith-building relationships of love. Now, that's the key phrase. Relationships of love are highly valued as expressions of our passion for the supremacy of God's love. Now, where did that come from? Where does love come from? Now, what verse would you think of? Well, I thought of Galatians 5.22. Love the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. So the answer, how's number one going to happen? It's going to happen if we are trees and the sap running in our bark is God's spirit. That's the only way number one can happen. Love isn't going to happen here because of a committee meeting. Love isn't going to happen here just because of sermons or singing or gatherings. Love is going to happen because through all that, God is pleased to come with pulsating spiritual dynamic called the Holy Spirit's power. So let's ask, let's plead for it. Number two, urban-suburban partnership. We will strive to forge a mutually enriching urban-suburban partnership in which a, a significant range of racially, educationally, and economically diverse people feel at home as they grow in their passion for the supremacy of God. How are we going to do that? How? You got the herbs and the burbs and all kinds of diversity in between there. And we're calling for a broader home place for them where they feel at home. Where's that come from? Where's that kind of unity come from? Ephesians 4-3. Be diligent in preserving the unity of the Spirit. There it is. Be diligent in preserving what kind of unity? Human wrought unity? Committee figured out unity? Preach unity? The unity of the Spirit. If the Spirit doesn't come, if he doesn't move in power on us, We'll still have all the antagonisms, all the suspicions, all the accusations that have tended to flow back and forth between the diverse parts of our congregation. We can we can we can escape that by the power of the Holy Spirit and only by that. Number three, interracial reconciliation against the rising spirit of indifference. Alienation and hostility in our land. We will embrace the supremacy of God's love to make, to take new steps personally and corporately toward racial reconciliation expressed visibly in our community and in our church. Now, it's really timely. That was written months and months ago. And this week, of all the weeks, of the year when we need to hear that is um, this week where is that going to come from suppose you believed in that and you said yeah I want to be part of that what part of that mainly white church how can we how can we do something so That it's more reflective of our community? Or how can we create a spirit here so that at least there isn't a a sense of alienation and a sense of racism? How can we do that? And suppose you you walked up to a, a black person or a brown person or an Asian person and greeted them. And they said, you're a racist community. And then they gave you three or four reasons you hadn't even seen. Where would you get the strength to come back to that with a tender heart again and again and again? Where are you going to get that? Because I know what happens in race, race, racial conversations. You have this big ideal, we're going to walk into this thing, and we're going to do it, we're going to make it happen, and then guts start getting shared. And when guts get shared, it's mean and ugly, and things start flying back and forth, and real feelings start to emerge for a change. And it doesn't survive, because not many people are in it for the long haul. We just kind of get a flash in the pan, because we hear Martin Luther's dream speech mentioned again, and we say, yes! And it lasts for a month, or two, or three, and then the real feelings make it hard. Where are you going to get the strength? To come back into the faith again and again and say, I'm in your faith until we love each other because that's what God calls us to do. That's what God calls us to do. We're going to get that. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18 is the verse the Lord brought to mind. Paul is addressing ethnic hostilities here. It happened to be Jew and Gentile. And believe me, that was just as hostile and just as troublesome as anything we've got in this nation among ethnic groups. And this is what it says. Through Christ, we both, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So, there's Christ in his blood-shedding work on the cross. And there's the Holy Spirit wrapping black and white and yellow and red and brown into one. And taking them to God together. And we're not going to do it. Number three is not going to happen unless God lands here in power. Number four. Diversity in God-centered worship. You'll notice these really are all tied together. They are all tied together. Sunday morning worship is a corporate expression of our passion for the supremacy of God. We sense God's leading to develop fresh expressions of this passion that, one, allow for a more focused and free lingering of love in the presence of the Lord. Two, reflect musically the diversity of our congregation and our metropolitan culture. And three, interweave the values of intense God-centeredness and more personal ministry to each other in the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you think that's the hardest one on the page. And it may be. It may sum up all the others. Here's the text the Lord led me to. Philippians 3.3. 3. Where are we going to get this? Diversified, one-voice kind of worship. Philippians 3.3, Paul says, we are the true circumcision. That is, we are the the children of Abraham by faith who worship in the spirit. There it is. We worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. There they're brought together again. Christ Jesus, glorying in him and worshiping in the spirit and put no confidence in the flesh. What does that mean? That means what's the flesh here? See any flesh up here? This is flesh. This is flesh. Sorry, Greg. This is flesh. Speakers, flesh. Sheets of music, flesh. Ah, uh, voices, flesh. Pulpits, flesh. Coats, flesh. Ties, flesh. Skin, flesh. Brains, flesh. It's all flesh. Unless the Holy Spirit comes. Flesh is what you are minus the Holy Spirit. And what we are as a church minus the Holy Spirit, that's flesh. And he says in Philippians 3.3, 3, we worship in the Spirit and put no confidence in music or preaching. Can we get to that point? We are so nervous about music and style that I wonder if we can hear this word. We worship in the Spirit of God and put no confidence in the flesh. If this church ultimately hangs on my articulation of truth on Sunday morning, Or the choir or Greg's putting together some musical things. We are not a Christian church. We must be ultimately reliant upon the spirit who may be pleased in any given culture at any given time to express himself in certain ways that suit groups of people. But the spirit is the only hope here. Would you plead with him to come with me? Would you make it your daily bread to cry out to the Holy Spirit that he would be here and work and make worship real? Number five, very quickly. Good news to the poor. We will develop new strategies for proclaiming the all satisfying supremacy of God's love and justice to the poor. One, by personal involvement. Two, a more welcoming atmosphere. Three, Local missionary strategies of urban disciple making for equipping missionaries for unreached urban peoples. Where's that going to come from? Luke 4.18. Jesus came and he said, the spirit, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Question is, is the spirit upon us? Is there an anointing, like on Jesus, on us? Because if the anointing of the Spirit is on us, the heart of God will be in us. And it's a heart for the poor. However it looks, God will show us. And finally, challenging church and culture, number six, with the truth. We will challenge our culture and the wider Christian movement in fresh ways with the biblical truth of God's all-satisfying supremacy by courageous, Christian action and speech in the secular world. So I ask you finally, where does that courage come from? How's that going to happen? And the text that the Lord brought to my mind was Acts 4.31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God with boldness. Where does boldness come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to close and ask Him to come and fill us. Let's bow our heads. I don't want to keep you longer than the Lord wants you personally to stay. We all are at different places in our lives and in our schedules and in our families and our little children, but I want to ask a general prayer here now for the Holy Spirit to come and do these things, but I also want to linger here at the front with prayer teams, and I'll be here for any of you who, who want to come and just let us pray more focused On you, for you, that the Holy Spirit would be applied and released in your life. Why don't we stand as I pray. And I think with your eyes closed that um, it might be one way of saying with your whole self. To God the Father that you really mean that you'd like my prayer now to be answered in your life. To just hold your hands out in front of you like you're going to receive a gift. Lord, my hands are outstretched for this people. That as we close. The blood of Jesus, your son. Would be glorified. Through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in his name. On your people right now. Would you come? You who did not spare your only son. But gave him up for us all. Will you now? Not surely. Surely. Give us the Holy Spirit with him. If if any unbeliever is here, Lord, with hands outstretched, come with faith and with assurance. And if any believer is standing there with hands open to you, would you come? And there are a thousand ways you could come. So many needs, so much hurt, so much bondage, so much sin, so much pain. Come. I pray that there would be a decisive touch from you on your people. And release us now to do these initiatives and to spread a passion for the supremacy Your glory in all things, for the joy of all peoples. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and and give you a love for Christ, who bore your sins and give you the fullest measure of the Holy Spirit that you can bear. And all God's people said, men.